Yesterday, we spent much of the morning talking about our country's appalling math standards. The latest trends in international mathematics and science study found students' maths knowledge in the first year of high school is below all other English-speaking countries. A Royal Society of New Zealand panel has been called in by the Ministry of Education to look at why maths results have hit a record low and to shake up the curriculum. Minister of Education Chris Hipkins joins me now. You're unable to do so yesterday because you're back-to-back meetings. I appreciate you taking the time today. Good morning. Good morning. You must have known for some time, as we have, that standards were slipping. This is this hasn't come out of nowhere. Had this been a concern of yours in the in, your, in the previous government? Oh, it's been a huge concern for some time. I think if you look at the trends, mm. it's about a 20-year trend that yes. we're talking about here. So this hasn't just sort of emerged out of nowhere. It's a, it's a trend. That, you know, there's some interesting things in here. Um, you have to look at two things, I guess, when you're looking at the international rankings. One is how our kids are doing and then how our kids are doing relative to the rest of the world. One of the things that's interesting here is when we started, you know, seeing these studies uh, proliferate sort of in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, New Zealand was near the top of them. And that was something that was good, that was reassuring for us, but it was also a reflection of where other countries' education systems were and other countries have got better. Uh, And so that's good for them. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's a cause for alarm for us. But what, what we are seeing, though, is that New Zealand kids actual scores have been going down. So, you know, I'm I'm less worried about where we sit on the rankings, but I am worried about, you know, the performance of our kids declining. And that's that's happened relatively consistently over about 20 years of these studies. So we've got to really look underneath the hood and find out what's happening. Why are we why are we going backwards? So it's not just that other countries are overtaking us, it's that we're actually going backwards. Is it because education is politicised? No, I don't think it is. Um, and actually, I think you'll find that, you know, on, uh, right the way across the parliament, everybody shares the concern that this isn't OK. I think some of the solutions, some of the proposed solutions have been too political. That's so what I, I mean. If you, look at, yeah. if you look at national standards, for example, it was the right problem. You know, they, they were tackling the right problem, but they had the wrong solution. And so, uh, you know, I think that became too political. So we, we worked really hard over the last three or four years just to try and find ways to address these issues without them becoming political footballs. I worked really closely with Nikki Kay, uh, who was yep. both a former Minister of Education and National Spokesperson uh, over that first term that I've been, you know, had the privilege of being Minister, to say, look, we both agree that this is a challenge. Let's actually work together to try and find some solutions that are enduring. And so, you know, if you look at the changes we're making around NCEA and strengthening up the literacy and numeracy requirements in there, we've had a good degree of bipartisan support, including from David Seymour and ACT. You know, I've worked yeah. with him too. Uh, there's this, this shouldn't be a football... Politics isn't going to solve this. No, uh, you it's know, it, not. It's, it's it's going to be solved in the classroom by supporting teachers, by working really closely with them, by making sure they're getting the resources that they need, um, not not by sort of you know catchy slogans and so on. Why don't we pay better teachers more? Because not all teachers are created equal, and it's absurd to think that they are. Look, there is it. We do have a challenge around um, numeracy in particular, but I wouldn't put that down to just teachers. I think if, if you look at, you know, we spent about $40 million just, uh, you know, in the last five or six years, so under both governments, um, on numeracy professional development for teachers. This reflects a challenge that's long-standing within New Zealand. We've undervalued, as a country, numeracy. And and you see that in every, our everyday culture. So if, you, if you're having a dinner party conversation with people, how many times have you heard people say, oh, I'm no good at maths, it's never done me any harm? Mm-hmm. It's almost a sort of a cultural cringe. New Zealand 
Zealanders, you know, we all we talk openly about the fact that we, we're not so good at maths. Now, that that flows through into our teachers. You know, the teachers are broadly reflective of our of our overall population, um, and so we've got a challenge there. We've got to make sure that we're giving those teachers the right professional development opportunities uh, if, we, if we want them imparting better numeracy skills to our kids. But again, why would you not pay better teachers more? Teachers that know how to teach that get results. Well, I think we do. I think if you look at the salary scales, there are there's the base salary scale. Most teachers are, would be earning above the base salary scale, so they get additional units and allowances, which recognises you know where their talents and abilities are. I think one of the things that's really interesting about this this idea around you know good teachers versus bad teachers is kids are different, and therefore different teachers appeal and and reach out to different kids. So if I think back to my own time as a student, there will be teachers that that I think of as being, you know, they they were my best teacher. And yet I look at my brother, who went through the same schools that I did, different kid to me. Um, Some of the teachers that I thought were my best teachers, he thought were his worst teachers and vice versa. So, you know, different teachers are going to reach different kids. And we have to recognise that too. We also have to recognise there's some duds in there. Uh, look, you know, there are there are teachers that can be better, and uh, you know, we 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 are we, we've got a performance framework for teachers, you know, that um, that schools should be implementing in terms of what our expectations of our teachers are. My view is that you know, it's not about pay. If teachers aren't good teachers, they shouldn't be teaching. Mm. But some are. Look, I mean, there's there's tens of thousands of teachers um, and you know with the right management I believe that we can have you know transformational teachers in front of every every child every student yeah okay how long is it going to take before we can arrest the decline you know there's going to be a panel and that's a good start the Royal Society of New Zealand panel how long before we get out of the meetings and into the classrooms well, I think one of the challenges that you have when you're dealing with literacy and numeracy is a lot of the studies, they'll focus on kids once they're at secondary school or secondary school age. So they've already been in the education system mm. for eight or nine years by the time we're, we're sort of putting our finger on the problem. So these are long-term challenges that need long-term solutions. And you don't see, you know, something that we do today, we'll see the benefits of years down the track. Um, we've got to work with urgency to address this challenge at every level. So take, take literacy, for example. Um, we've just rolled out new ready-to-read um, books, booklets, which have a, the right balance of phonics versus the, you know, other other methods. Reading recovery is being overhauled, recognising that it doesn't work for every child. We're putting a lot of effort into maths professional development uh, for teachers. There's, we've had numeracy projects which have shown good results. So there is a lot happening. But yeah. I guess one of the fundamentals is if you go back to the 1980s, late 1980s and tomorrow's schools, schools were kind of left on their own mm. for a, a, a prolonged period, you know, 20 plus years, where, where we, we said to schools, teachers, you do what you need to do. You've got a very devolved curriculum. Do what you need to do. It's your responsibility. And we didn't provide a lot of support. I think there's a recognition now that actually, whilst devolution has been really positive in the sense that it's given parents more empowerment, they can you know be on boards of trustees and it's a positive thing. Yeah. Um, it has left schools kind of adrift if they, if they haven't, you know, if they felt, you know, found challenges they haven't been able to address. The one thing about this country that used to be a birthright was that no matter what sort of family you came from, we had an education system that gave you the opportunity to do more than your family ever imagined. And it didn't matter where in the country you were. And that seems to have gone now. 
It's actually partly a reflection of the changing nature of our society. So we're a much more unequal society than mm. we might have been 30 or 40 years ago, and we're a much more ethnically diverse society than we were you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, actually, the, um, the performance of Māori kids in our education system has been a persistent problem that's been with us for a very long time. Um, increasing numbers of Pacific Island children in our education system, um, we're, not, we're not serving them as well as we need to either. Um, you know, socioeconomics, huge impacts there. There is a, a socioeconomic disparity in student achievement that we, we cannot afford to ignore. Um, and so, you know, like I said, none of these are pol- particularly political challenges. They are challenges that have, that have, that have continued to, to grow over a long period of time. Well, you know, and it's interesting that, that for a government that, you know, really does want to improve the lot of, of those, you know, at the bottom of the heap, you're presiding over it at a time where the gap has never been greater. Like I said, I mean, we've, we've, we've done a lot already in the last three years and there's more to be done. But, yeah, we all have to acknowledge that there's long lead times with these with these sorts of things. So, um, you know, the, the study that we're talking about, you know, if you, if you take PISA and um, the, the, the maths study that you that you've been talking about mm. those results uh it often takes a, at least a year between when the tests are taken and when we see the results so they're already out of date by the time we see them um and then they're they're assessing kids who are in their early teens so they've already been in this education system for a long time so it takes a while to, you know it, it the, the harsh reality is it takes a long time to turn mm. that curve back around again I just don't understand how a teacher can put a child up a year when they know for a fact that they do not have the skills required for that level. They just pass the buck. Well, what you what you do see is that schools, you know, have ways of managing that. Um, and like I said, you know, kids learn at different rates too. So particularly in those early years at primary school, you know, I've got two kids, two young kids of my own, two and four. They're the age groups of my kids. And I look at their, their first, you know, early years. They've learned different things at different times. And the primary primary school, uh, you'll absolutely find that. You'll go into primary schools and you'll find that in a, in a class of kids the same age, some are excelling at maths and some are excelling at reading. Some are excelling in the more creative side of things. And then, you know, if you go back and found that same cohort of kids five years down the track, the picture would be very different. So we can't assume that all kids will learn the same stuff at the same time. Uh, we're all programmed a little bit differently. Uh, and the, the key thing, I guess, the, where you get the really transformational teaching is that teachers recognise what engages different kids. We can't have a cold, dry curriculum that's about now you're going to learn maths, now you're going to learn reading, because it's boring for kids and it doesn't engage them. Where they're engaged in a really rich ex- group of experiences, then actually um, that's where they'll do well. So it takes sports for example we know some kids love sports so we've got a pro we've got programs in place now which we've just been put in place in the last few years that are saying okay how can you build more numeracy into sports there are huge opportunities Mm. to be learning maths while you're doing your sports at the same time those kids are highly highly engaged in their maths because that because because it's being presented to them in a sporting context which they're passionate about so we've got to make sure that we're providing the right you know a rich learning context that engages kids because that's when they learn that, you know, that's when they learn at their optimum. All right. And just putting your COVID hat on just quickly, what is the, um, what does the queue look like for the people who are getting the vaccine? We've got our frontline workers, healthcare workers. Where do immune compromised people fit in that? 
So over the next couple of months, there'll be relatively limited numbers of vaccines coming into New Zealand. We've said that the first priority are going to be those who work at the border uh, and their families, so their close contacts. We really want to provide immunisation for those who are kind of on the front lines, connected with the front lines, who are the most at risk. And so you'll see that in the first few months of our programme. Towards the middle of the year, vaccine supplies start to really ramp up. Um, that's assuming we get the deliveries on the schedule that we're that we're you know that we've been promised. So in that second quarter of the year, um, and again the second quarter runs April, May, June. That's where we expect to see significant numbers of vaccines coming into the country. Probably more towards the end of that. Um, quarter, uh, you know, the second quarter than towards the beginning. That's where we'll start to roll it out to other groups. So uh, those who are immunocompromised, those who are in aged care, uh, those who are in a health setting, uh, those who have uh, additional comorbidities, if you like, so more at risk of, of adverse responses from uh, from COVID-19 if they were to contract it, they will definitely be the people who will be prioritising in the early part. But our ultimate goal, though, is to try and get as quickly as we can to the point where vaccines are available for all those who need them. One of the things that we're, you know, need and want them, which is the whole population. One of the things that we are working very much to understand is across the four different vaccines that we that we're buying in New Zealand, which vaccines are more most effective with different population groups. So some will be more effective with elderly, some will be more effective with younger people. So understanding that will help us to identify who gets which vaccine at which time. So there's some advantage in being at the back of the queue. Well, it's not that we're at the back of the queue. It's that we're not we're not having to do emergency vaccinations in the way those countries, the other countries are. So we're following a more regular process. So in terms of those countries that are following regular processes, and Australia is in the same boat, uh, we're right at the front of the queue. But you know, we're not we're not running an emergency uh, vaccination campaign here in New Zealand. We we do have that luxury of a bit more time uh, to make sure we're getting it right, uh, to make sure that we're getting the right vaccines to the right people. And just quickly, will you be forcing people to have vaccines? No, we've always said that it won't be compulsory. Um, okay. What we're seeing in our in our research um, is that our vaccine rates, we've got about 70% of New Zealanders who are saying, yep, we're good to go. Uh, of that 30% who, are, who aren't, you know, lining up, you know, to get them immediately, there's hesitancy, but not, not but it, it, the hesitancy is more about the speed rather than about them saying we don't want the vaccine. I thank you very much for your time. Chris Hipkins, Education Minister, COVID-19 Response Minister.